Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Sujith Faragiz, a veteran writer, director, and actor whose credits behind the camera include the original Fraggle Rock, Groundling Marsh, and Tailspinners, for which he won a Writers Guild of Canada award, and in front of it, shows like Little Mosque on the Prairie, The Strain, and The Girlfriend Experience, and feature films like 22 Chaser, Red Rover, Stealing School, and Little Italy. He's currently turning up in recurring roles on Kin's Convenience and Transplant, and he's just appeared in the new season of The Expanse, available on Amazon Prime Video. Sujith picked Galaxy Quest, the ingenious 1999 comedy about the cast of a beloved sci-fi series who find themselves on an actual interstellar adventure when aliens who believe the show was real enlist their help in a battle against a genocidal villain. Tim Allen, Alan Rickman, Sigourney Weaver, Tony Shalhoub, Daryl Chill Mitchell, and some nobody named Sam Rockwell starred alongside then-unknowns Enrico Colantoni, friend of the show, Rain Wilson, Missy Pyle, Justin Long, and Jed Rees, and the result is a miracle, really. This is someone else's movie. Galaxy Quest is, for me, a perfect movie. And it's perfect not because it's art. I don't, it, it, it is art on some level, but I, I don't, I'm not saying it's an art film or anything, but it is pure pleasure. And it's pure pleasure because it both respects and loves its characters and the audience watching the movie at the same time. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I can't remember whether I saw the film initially in the theater or it was a DVD rental. I, I, I wish I could say I saw it in the theater because it really is, you know, a perfect movie for a, a movie theater experience. But um, but I remember when I first saw it that it, it was like they they made this movie for me, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I was a I was a brown kid, son of immigrant parents, growing up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Uh, we had one TV channel, CFQC, which was a CBC affiliate. So it didn't even show all of CBC stuff. They bought some stuff of their own. My oh. my film training was late night Friday nights on CFQC. I don't know who was the guy who bought their movies, but I saw incredible stuff. But television uh, for a you know six, seven, eight year old kid who really didn't feel like they belonged. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because I was the only brown kid in my school, um, became, you know, what I could, could like, I spoke that language uh, just like all my other friends did, right? Right. So Star Trek or Gilligan's Island, both of which are referenced in Galaxy Quest. You know, this was my language of belonging growing up. And <clears throat> the other thing Galaxy Quest is, it's about actors. And I have spent my life basically, or at least most make made a living, you know, acting in television. So I totally relate to that. Now you don't need to be a television actor to like Galaxy Quest, but but it helps. Um, <clears throat> so you know, uh, I mean, we could I could have chosen a lot of movies to talk to you about, but I I really love this film because it is it is a perfect movie movie, uh, and it and it is so loving of its story, of its characters. Uh, and and also, like I said, of the people who end up watching the movie. It's like, it's loving you back. Yeah, it is. It rewards your affection um, in a way that very few movies 
even try to do, I think. Uh, certainly not then in 1999. And now it's... Uh, it's different because now everything is about fan service, but it's about mechanical, cynical fan service. It's about, oh, that thing from that guy that I remember, you know, I, I admit I watched The Mandalorian with everybody else and I love it because it's like watching someone playing in the child's toy box and finding interesting new ways to to interpret stuff. Uh, but there was a moment where you get to watch Boba Fett fight stormtroopers with a Tusken Raider staff. And this ridiculous looking thing that has never been used in any Star Wars project for, for 40 years suddenly has a purpose and a, a, and meaning and, and actions that are specific to the weird curl at the top and the hook at the bottom. And you think, oh, somebody loved this enough that they figured it out. And then I love it too, because it's pulling on that little part of my brain that tells me all those childhood moments where you played with a toy are actually worthwhile. And Galaxy Quest does the same thing, right? But it's... It's well, the... but it does it does the same thing, but it doesn't do it in the arcane way <clears throat> that a Mandalorian does. I mean, what you just described, uh, my sister or my mother wouldn't have no idea what you're talking about, right? In terms of the Mandalorian, that that is it is a fan based uh, engagement, right? Yeah. Whereas Galaxy Quest, you could watch and. You know, maybe it would be hard to find somebody on the planet who's never seen an episode of Star Trek. Um, but I suspect even if you'd never seen an episode of Star Trek, you could still get uh, Galaxy Quest. I think so, yeah. I think that the themes are so pure and the the cynicism is confined to the characters. Right? That, well, and, and it explains it. It, it explains what it is. Like if you'd never seen a TV show, uh, you would learn what... It is to be uh, making some kind of TV show like that those actors made. And you would be sort of exposed to the back, you know, the backstage even aspect of of making a, a, a genre TV show. Uh, you know, I, and I, I think that's what's so beautiful about the film is that it it actually is a is a homage to fandom without requiring you to be a fan. Mm. Oh, that's a good way to put it. It makes you a fan by the end of it too. The um, there's a whole generation of people who keep trying to reboot Galaxy Quest, and I think it's telling that they're all young enough to have seen the first film when they were in their you know teens and twenties. Paul Shear was running it for a few years, trying to turn it into a project for Amazon, and then I think yeah. the death of um, Alan Rickman just Alan Rickman. torpedoed the whole thing. Right. And yeah, uh, we can talk about the cast because the my God, it is an incredible cast of uh, of gifted self-satirists, right? I mean, there are people who are, even, even even someone like Sam Rockwell, who was a relative unknown, I think I'd seen him in Box of Moonlight at the time, um, in 1999, and has gone on to play the sort of roles that Tim Allen and Alan Rickman uh, and even Tony Shalhoub are mocking in Galaxy Quest, like the, the ability to go really big on on demand and then bring it right back down again. Um, uh, or, or Missy Pyle or Enrico Colantoni, who is just, I mean, you know. Enrico, I, I don't know why he wasn't nominated for that film because that invention, like he had dialogue. It, it, he didn't have, I don't know what they had in terms of here's how a Thermian behaves, but I have a feeling that he'd had basically words and actions to go with. And, and he brought this creation of, you know, magnificence that, that nobody could tell you how to do that. And, and they all did it. In fact, yeah. I was reading about how they had a kind of Thermian um, boot camp. 
for all of the actor actors in the background playing the Thermian. So, you know, to learn how to, you know, do all of that stuff. And um, it's a perfectly cast film. uh, And it's a cast that is operating at the height of their power. And I don't even know if they knew that they were operating at the height of their power. It's like Tim Allen, Tim Allen. Where did that come from? Yeah, but it had to be. That's the thing, right? Like it, the when you watch it again and again and again, as as I'm sure we both have, it's so clear that they needed someone who wasn't fully aware of how he's perceived, and that's Tim Allen. Like Alec Baldwin was one of the early runners for that right. role, and yeah. he could have probably in 1999 he could have done it, but it wouldn't have had the same kind of bluntness that because how, how do I put this without really insulting Tim Allen? Um, Alec Baldwin can play someone who's not terribly bright, but Tim Allen can inhabit someone who isn't aware of what other people think of him in a way that Baldwin mm. can't because Baldwin has a still a bit of a thin skin and, and he's self-aware. Um, if you can't get William Shatner, Tim Allen is a great substitute. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I don't know if I'd ever seen Tim Allen um, before other than on his TV series. Uh, and so I just couldn't make the connection okay. in terms of, 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 uh, what he was doing on that and then being in galaxy quest. So it was, it was, it was, a, it was perfect casting in that it was like watching the TV show, a uh, galaxy quest. And you, you got, Oh, here were these actors who could never do anything else in their lives. <laughs> yeah. Right. They, none of them ever have moved on to being in a movie or another TV show or another play. They are stuck playing these characters at mall openings. That's the story of their lives. Yeah. And it's a, it's a living, <laughs> right. I mean, it's so magnificent in terms of its uh, depiction of actors and I, I love that about it because it it shows both the, you know, cynicism of selling out, quote unquote, and the comfort of having a steady gig, you know. And, you know, Alan Rickman's character, I played Richard III, and, you yeah. know, he's wearing <laughs> that stupid, he wears that thing on his head the whole movie yeah i kept waiting for it to come off because he would declare himself right i mean there's got to be a scene in the film where he tells people he's at home when when sigourney weaver phones him and says what's going on he's He's still still wearing wearing it it. i know (laughs) (laughs) i i kept thinking the first time i saw any imagery from the film before the before i saw the movie itself there there were shots of rickman looking miserable in the mokhtar hat in the head. And I kept trying to figure out if there was going to be some kind of a weird alien twist where they, you know, you looked strange. So we fixed you and they actually made that his head. So he would be better positioned to be Dr. Lazarus. Well, but I, see, here's the other aspect of the movie. Uh, the aliens are real. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, um, you know, you're, you're right. Like it's, it's like maybe at the end, uh, you reveal that Alan Rickman really is. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. That would work too. But why would he hide it at that point? He's just <clears throat> well. At that point, he doesn't have to hide it. Yeah, exactly. But, he can just... You know, that would have uh, that, and and it would have been the meta kind of payoff to everything that you've seen so far. Like the thing about the movie is that you know you you realize okay, the Thermians are real, and they've kidnapped these or asked these these uh, actors because they don't understand the actors are actors to save their planet from 
from uh, Saris. Saris, named for a film critic, of course. <laughs> of course. And, uh, and, and the payoff to all of that through the film is that nobody questions, oh, um, shouldn't we let NASA know about this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like, shouldn't the shouldn't the Air Force be be involved in any way? <laughs> like, there's a spaceship that's going to be crashing into the planet. Any no nothing. Like, it becomes the TV show. It's already homaging. Like, it's it's such a perfect. And I I wonder, you know, if if they were conscious of all of this stuff because it is so it folds in on itself so beautifully that it, it almost feels like they didn't know what they were doing. They were just you know, just winging having it. A, yeah, there's something wonderful about thinking of it like that because, because you know, to to have it, to have it, um, it's it's like when in that moment when um, Tim Allen uses the communicator to contact uh, um, Justin Long, Justin Brandon, yeah, and said, uh, Brandon, and 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 you know, he's the ultimate fan. He knows everything about the spaceship, even though it's all fake. And he says, Brandon, it's real. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. And, yeah. and you know, like there's something um, wonderful about that moment in the film. And it's also, uh, a, you know, a, a theme of the film. Right. Yeah. It's real. It's real. And, and it's such a like it almost brings tears to my eyes when when he's so happy <laughs> <laughs> to find that that his obsession is actually worthwhile. Oh, yeah. I did see the movie in the theater uh, at, a, at a press screening in, uh, at the Varsity 8. Big old, mm -hmm. big old yeah, movie yeah. theater. We actually because they did the aspect ratio trick theatrically where it starts in 133, then expands to 185 for about 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah. And then when um, when Jason gets to space and sees the, the star field for the first time, it goes to scope and stays it there. It goes to 235 or something. And we yeah. thought there was something wrong. We actually thought that the <laughs> the thing was stuck at the, that they hadn't closed the panels on the uh, on the screen. And they said, no, it says that we have to do it this way. And that put me off for a little while just because it pulled me out of the movie at a moment where I really needed to start to plug in. But then by the time uh, Shaloub shows up, uh, Fred has his line, that was a hell of a thing. And it's so clear that this movie is not going to be suddenly serious about anything. Mm. It just plugged in. And the, and, the, and the I knew it line, that moment just brought, I guess it's 600 people to their feet. That was, it, the theater exploded and we all yeah. knew everything was going to be okay. It was so exhilarating. Um, I do want to challenge the thought that the movie doesn't get serious, though. Well, I mean, it allows the situation to remain serious while letting the characters react to how impossible it is. I mean, we still have, you know, Tony's you know, whoever wrote this episode should die moment where right. you're just derailed in the middle of this heart pounding sequence with what, 90 seconds of rage about how illogical everything is. Yeah, you're never yeah. allowed to forget that while the stakes are real for the Thermians, the actors themselves are still just looped by this whole thing and, and trying to figure it out. For sure. Moment moment. But, but I, I always remember Kulik's uh, storyline and how moving it is that it's all, it's all real. You know, it's yeah. genuine. It's so genuine. And, uh, and I find that, I find that it's so touching and so real and, and, you know, it's a culmination of story and, and performance you know, I, I was I'm I, I was really um, moved by Rickman's decision to say, I am going to play this whole thing for real from start to finish. You know, yeah. there's no I, he he wasn't mocking his 
his character and he he was he was genuine and and there become and it becomes uh so so that it, the silliness doesn't um undermine the the emotion and that's quite remarkable i think yeah the balance is incredible the the fact that you can have a film that contains uh that uh colin tony's amazing scene where he just plays the the disbelief and shock and pain mm. of Mathis are learning about acting and understanding what make-believe is. Uh, and somehow within five minutes, just have Sam Rockwell make a goofy face or, or have Tony Shalhoub just cut through everything by being high and, and not reacting exactly at the right speed with everyone else. It's, it is incredible. It's um, I mean, um, I had Enrico on the show uh, maybe four years ago and mm. You were talking about Midnight Run, and there's a moment maybe 25 minutes in where he just says, do you mind if I talk about Galaxy Quest for a second? And I'm pretty sure you can hear me go, <laughs> because it is, it's incredible that that role is funny and moving and sad and that he, yeah, I mean, as you say, he contains the, the entire spirit of the well, film. Well, and, and, and I've worked with Enrico, I know mm -hmm. him, and uh, boy, he, he's an actor. Yeah. Because if you meet Enrico and then see Galaxy Quest, you you can't believe that the same person is now able to to be that character. Yeah, it it is such a transition, such a transformation. Uh, it, it's it's really a remarkable piece of acting. Yeah, and he brings everyone along with him, right? I think, that, and that's the almost like a, a metaphor for the way the movie works because we are first kind of quietly repulsed by the Thermians. They're weird. They're a little oily. The the makeup is just ingenious, where it looks like people wearing. A photograph of themselves like the hair is plastered down <laughs> right. and their faces are too shiny and and of course we all we eventually understand why but the genius of the way he plays it like he's a little too physically close to people and he's a little too happy and you're just of course jason doesn't want anything to do with these guys either but he'll take the money and it's the relationship between actors to fans and the really all the metaphors are just lined right up for us and then it rolls into making them real making them and realizing them uh, in, so in you end comic up caring about ways. their yeah. fate. You end up caring about their fate. Of course. <laughs> and it's not real, but it's real. Yeah. Oh, you no, know, the it's... wonderful thing, the wonderful, the wonderful thing about this movie is it does job one really well. And I think job one of any movie uh, is to make you worry. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the, you know, that's what we go to movies. We go to movies to worry. Uh, we may not know that we're going to movies to worry, but if the movie doesn't make us worry, uh, we we want our money back because <laughs> okay. that's that's what that's what we're paying for. That's job one. I mean, how well it makes you worry, whether it, it's entertaining, whether that's taste, right? That's that's we, those are all level two, threes, and fours. But level one is this thing better make me worry. I got to worry. Uh, whether boy meets girl, boy gets girl, cop finds robber, cop finds serial killer, uh, you know, whatever it is, we, we, the movie's got to make us worry. And this movie does that perfectly. It ticks that box off brilliantly because it makes us worry about every single character. It makes us worry about what's going to happen next. And, and, and we're, you know, reveling in the pleasure of that worry throughout throughout the film from one frame to the next and and that's why i think it's a perfect film because it does job one really well 
there's something I always think about in, in the experience of in revisiting a movie, uh, which is that when you know, even bad movies get slightly better when you look at them a second time, because your brain already knows the trajectory, you know, on some level, what's going to be disappointing and what's going to work. And the Galaxy Quest and another one I always bring up in this way is Gross Point Blank, which is films that find a tone so specific that you are convinced they're going to blow it. So I spent the movie on the edge of my seat waiting for them to blow the third act or figure out something. And I just, it, it does feel like a high wire act while you're watching it. And then the second time through, your brain just clicks into everything is going to be fine and you can really appreciate it. I think that's how cult movies are formed. Um, and this is one of those movies. I mean, it wasn't terribly successful theatrically, but it was a monster on video because people kept discovering it and forcing it on people. It's... It's a viral well, and success. I don't even know, I, you know, there's probably a marketing history in when the movie came out in terms of why it wasn't successful because it's, it should it's, have been, it, right? It should have been. There's no reason why. I mean, it, it's, it's commercial on every level. Uh, so it can't, it's not that, uh, you know, the other thing about this film, which is that every time I watch it, it's, it's, both I'm I'm recognizing what I loved about seeing it the previous time, and I find something I didn't notice before. Yeah, and that's the great thing about a movie like this is that it it just rewards you every time you watch it with something new because there's so much in every little moment that you miss the first time, and then it's there waiting for you when you watch it again. Yeah. Oh, well, you just rewatched it for this. So, what was the thing you noticed this time? Was anything new to be appreciated? Oh, the the um, well, I, I I mean, I I I know everything. It's just how it affected me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this time it was the the thing I talked about when um, when he he calls Justin and says it's real, and 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 Justin's just so happy. Uh, you know, I it just it just flew out at me. I went, oh, there's there's it is such a it's such a, you know, because at first when you start watching the film, you think that the fans are just weirdos, right? <laughs> and and it and this is a movie that's going to mock fans. The actors are the cool kids and the fans are the people they're exploiting, yeah. you know? And you think that's the, the dynamic that they're establishing. And to some degree, that's true, uh, especially off the top. But that moment it all becomes one, you know, the fan, the character, the actor, the aliens, it's the same. We're in the same story here. And it's, and it's, it's just, um, it's just thrilling, you know, and, and you realize how much respect that the movie has for the people it's appearing to mock. Yeah. For uh, my revelation this time through was really paying attention to Tony Shalhoub and watching him pull back such an incredibly racist conception of that character. Mm. Uh, Tech Sergeant Chen. I mean, his character is named Terry Kwan, who's playing someone named Tech Sergeant Chen. Chen, yeah. And who is clearly intended to be Asian, but isn't. And when he when he affects Chen in the beginning and in the bookends, when we actually see episodes of Galaxy Quest, I somehow understand that Shalhoub is commenting on his own casting as a Lebanese, a man of Lebanese origin Absolutely. in multiple, multiple roles. And I've never thought of it before. I mean, it was, it was just like, oh my God, well, that's he, awful. He went, on, he went on record um, uh, saying that he wasn't going to t- do it until he realized um, that it was a way to talk about uh, the casting of David Carradine in Kung Fu. 
of course, of course it is. Just because he doesn't do it with prosthetics, he's just squinting and he's doing. Yeah, that. yeah. Ha! Yeah. Huh. You know, I did not know that, and I. Yeah. That's of course it is. By the How, way, I worked with David Carradine in in the reboot of Kung Fu. How did that? Go? And <laughs> well, now that he's dead, I suppose I can talk about it. Um, he was drunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole uh, and this was the first scene of the day we were shooting. I remember, and I, I was playing the the very fey owner of a drag queen uh, a nightclub, and uh, and so the scene had you know Carradine and. Um, uh, you know, there were like four or five characters in the scene. And it was a lot of zippy dialogue back and forth. And, uh, and, and Carradine couldn't do it. It was the first scene of the day and he was completely hammered. Wow. So they, we had to do the scene with his stand-in reading his lines. So it'd be boom, 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 wah, wah, wah. <laughs> you know, oh. it was like, so they shot around him basically. And then they literally wheeled him in and leaned him up against the wall. And he d- did his bit. And they shot that, and and I realized, holy crap! This is why he's so good at this. He's completely drunk, and he comes off as mystical. Right, right. It was yeah, like that actually explains a lot. <laughs> it's like that's how he did it. Um, I mean, he wasn't an unpleasant. Well, no. By the end of the night, he was screaming at the extras. Oh man, yeah. yeah. It wasn't, uh, you know, and and the way the show ended uh, was ignominious. So. Yeah, I think he got clean by the end, though, when he was working with Tarantino. I think he'd he'd fixed himself up. But I hope so. You want the redemption arc? I mean, you want it for the characters on this in, in on the real Galaxy Quest too, quote unquote yeah. real. But I I thought that was very profound when Shalub talked about um, doing it as a way of making a you know some kind of point on on what Carradine. And, you know, you don't blame Carradine. He was cast. I mean, it was supposed to be Bruce Lee and, and it became Carradine. And that was that time. And and uh, and Shalhoub is, is really, you know, channeling that and, and making us look at that in a way that is both entertaining and somewhat disturbing. And that's what's great about it. Yeah, I, I wish I'd known that because that would have changed. I'm, well, not that I'm never going to watch Galaxy Quest again. I'll watch it and look for it now. But it's so interesting to see a movie and again like part of the context for for this is that it was supposed to be dreamworks big christmas picture it was a film they pumped a lot of money into they developed it for a few years this was back when dreamworks was aggressively trying to do everything in every genre i mean this was like a year and a half after uh saving private rhyming came out they were just Mm -hmm. throwing money at stuff and it was it was going to be a Harold Ramis picture for a while, and then he left when Tim Allen was cast. Right, um, but that's how. Well, and he had a different. You know, I remember reading about him too, saying that when he saw the film, he went, "Oh, uh, now I get it." <laughs> yeah, and I I would have loved to see what Ramis would have done with it. I think he would have been even more indulgent of the actors, but. Instead, it's it's Dean Pariseau who made Home Fries, which was Vince Gilligan's movie that he wrote in film school. It's this whole weird combination of talents that I don't know. I don't know what I expected from it, but it wasn't much when I went in because mm-hmm. this was like the big, the desperate DreamWorks Christmas sci-fi movie with Tim Allen in it. And then it turns out to be like a miracle. Yeah. I think they they thought it was a turkey. I think they, they wrote it off and said, well, you know, it's not... It's not the big budget. I mean, they, it had a budget, but mm-hmm. I I don't think it had the budget that um, 
it was supposed to have as a as a DreamWorks. You know, they went, oh well, you know, let's let's shave it here and there. And in fact, that sort of makes it work. It does, right? Because if they'd had all the resources, it wouldn't be Star Trek. It, like it wouldn't right. be the it wouldn't it, be the it, thing it, that we understand. When you when you go to the planet to to get the um, the beryllium sphere, yeah, it's it's good, but it's not the Avengers. You know, it's not great. Yeah. It's not like really, and it's that's what makes it perfect because because it's 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 consistent with the world of the movie. You know, even five years later, there would have been CGI backgrounds and they couldn't afford them. Right. And this is better. Um, and I just, I think, oh, you know what? It, it, it had me, it had me when, um, when uh, Quan shows up drunk or high, but even though they can't say it, that, which is so great because they wanted mm. a PG-13 rating and they couldn't have any overt drug references. So instead, Shalhoub's story was that the character had eaten a weed brownie just off screen. And that's <laughs> that powers the entire performance, which absolutely works for me. Sure. Um, but the, uh, the the flyby when you first see the protector, which is straight out of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, that endless look what we can yeah. do, look at our special effects, and somehow the that the movie's neediness in 1979 becomes the Thermian's neediness in 1999. It's, mm-hmm. It translates so beautifully. And again, if you'd never seen. Star Trek, the motion picture, you probably would wonder why this was taking so long, except that it keeps cutting back to the Thermians who are so proud of themselves, which is the thing that was missing from Star Trek's scene. Right, right. And then fixing the problem. And then the button, the button is that Tommy can't get it out of the out of the gate without scraping the hall. Yeah. So it's like it's this perfect um, you know, uh like the 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 setup and the payoff is really wonderful and and I love that you know m- movies to me again the 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 way to make me um stick with it is set me up and pay me off you know <laughs> set up and pay off just to, if you do a series of setups and payoffs I'm like uh snug as a bug you know yeah. and that is a perfect setup and payoff it you does. come in and say here's the ship and you get that homage to Star Trek the motion picture shot where that you know that endless you know uh tracking shot of this huge spaceship that yeah. went on forever in the original movie i remember the audience was almost you know oh no i i laughing. saw it, i saw it with an audience too i must have been 11 but we i remember people shifting in their seats it's like this yeah is, this is really taking a while yeah and uh so you go okay here we're, we're doing that are we okay fine and then they say no we're smarter than you <laughs> He's yeah. not going to get out of there without scraping a few tiles off the off the bumper. Yeah, and it's great too because the one big leap of the concept, the really the biggest leap, is that these are the only people who can do this because you know they've they've retrofitted the Thermians, who are brilliant engineers but terrible Imagineers, uh, have retrofitted everything to their movements, to their voices, and and as you know, like as Tawny points out, her, she has one job: it's telling the computer what to do. It's stupid, <laughs> but she's going to do it. But at no point did they ever figure out that there might be re- a need for redundancies. The Thermians just just didn't think that way. And so they, the movie commits to it so beautifully um, with, with Daryl Mitchell. Again, you know, like he's the only one who he, he's the only one who can work the, the keyboards and the, and the controls because he made them up in the first place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at no point did the Thermians realize that they were programming it to him. So clearly they knew what they were doing. Like right, they understand right. it. And it's just, it hangs there. And it, the Thermians are created so simply and so perfectly that we never sit there and go, hang on, any of them can do it because it doesn't well, matter. Well, and that, but you see, that's what's so great about it is that 
uh, that's why they're able to do it at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and all we don't, there we don't, for them. Yeah, we don't we don't sort of need a lesson from Tommy to explain how to do it to them because and and in none of that is explained. It's just you know, it's it's so respectful of your the viewer's intelligence in putting two and two together and at the same time it 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 rewards the viewer for understanding all those references. It rewards you for having watched the original Star Trek. It rewards you for having watched Star Trek The Next Generation. It rewards you for having watched Gilligan's Island. Yes. It, it rewards you for watching. There's a moment which is pure uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, right? It rewards you for all of these things that you've done, you know, in secret as a kid that nobody, you know, you don't get any, you know, you get scolded for mm-hmm. uh, watching television and and becoming a fan and all of those things it rewards you and and elevates all of that to something greater than you know the sum of its parts yeah. and that is such an achievement and I, I you know i don't know how they pulled that off going into it like when they said hey we're going to write a movie about a uh you know a, a bunch of actors on a a stupid tv show who meet aliens that's the pitch yeah Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's not if... bad. It's not bad, but it's not Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest transcends its own pitch. Yeah. It, you you could make a straight. I mean, at the time, somebody was complaining. I remember very, very loudly that, you know, like they should have just made this a Star Trek movie. And you can't. Because well, then every, you have the Orville. Then it would be the Orville. Yeah. Right? Well, that's it. Like every and that's one of fine. us is That's a, great. I love the Orville. But eh. this is this transcends. What I'm saying is this transcends the the thing that it's parodying. Exactly. Because every one of us has a specific sense of what Star Trek ought to be, right? Like that's the problem with all the reboots and sequels and and everything that follows. Like Star Trek Discovery, over and over again, is telling me that it has absolutely no idea what the world is. Right. That it's that it it's doesn't setting. even know Star Trek. Yeah, exactly, yeah. because it keeps throwing ideas out there and just blowing past them and, and then the, yeah. the whole retconning thing. But Galaxy Quest is an unknown. I mean, we think we know it. As long as they get the tone right, we recognize the vibe, but we don't actually have any uh, proprietary impulses over it. Like, there is no version of Galaxy Quest that's not my Galaxy Quest because there's only the one that we see. Mm-hmm. And you put your own, you know, obviously the rhythms are there for Star Trek and you can you can insert them and you can fill them in. But as you said, if you don't know Star Trek, you can still understand why Galaxy Quest is what it is in this world. Right. The show. And, that, and, 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 and that to me shows either incredible foresight or incredible respect or just dumb luck. I don't know. You know I think it's everything. Part I think of the, it's all the part of the filmmakers. It feels like there was just, they caught lightning in a bottle and they didn't know they were fishing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's a miracle. Uh, Maybe this gets a 4K rendition. I I just, I want a better, the Blu-ray is nice, but I want a better transfer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this kind of brings us to the closing question of the podcast, which is what, if anything, and I really want to know the answer, have you borrowed yourself? Have you ever referenced or, or leaned on or just outright stolen from Galaxy Quest for your own work? I don't think I've had a chance to steal, but you know, I'm in the current uh, season of The Expanse, mm-hmm. and uh, and that is one show that is is um, both has a rabid fan base, and um, and also is like the coolest of the cool in terms of you know space shows. 
uh, I can't tell you how thrilling it is to be on that set. Okay, well, so the the first episode I'm in was has, is episode six, and it just started streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you watched it, but you know, I played the new acting secretary general. I'm on the moon for the first time, and uh, and there's a reference to the low gravity. Yep. Well, I had to take one six gravity training. The show provided one six gravity <laughs> training for me so that I would be able to pull that off uh honestly and and it was like it's two hours this guy showing me videos of astronauts in the international space station telling me you know being in low gravity does not mean you're underwater you're not moving slowly because he showed me the videos of the astronauts and they're like cycling really fast because you you know it's not that you're weighed down you're lighter than you normally are so yeah less resistance yeah uh and so you know um uh, so that's really interesting to put on your special skills section of your acting resume, <laughs> low that, gravity training. That is kind um, of amazing. Yeah. Uh, so in a way, it's the antithesis of a galaxy quest where uh, they can go to a strange planet, walk out and, and hey, there might not be air. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Shaloub says, well, seems fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a it's a different it's a different thing. But I but I thought of I thought of the difference in doing a show like The Expanse compared to Galaxy Quest, and there is a significant difference. Uh, I think because you know Galaxy Quest is is, um, and I think that this goes back to when Star Trek was made. You know, they were talking Star Trek was a show. The original Star Trek was a show that was really about politics and character and themes, but it wasn't about science. Oh, yeah, the, the the science was you know the the sigh of the sci-fi was not that uh, s- strong. Now you know the sigh on on uh, the expanse is enormous. Like uh, it's almost scientifically accurate. If you, we were three hundred years ahead of where we are now, yeah. There's um, an episode where just an unsecured piece of equipment becomes a, a terrifying like existential threat to a ship's crew yeah. just because it's banging around in zero gravity. Yeah. Yeah. I no, I mean, that. my heart was the, in my throat. Yeah. And, and, and even, you know, travel, space travel, the distances, the time it takes, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, 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 you know, warp drive. There's no beam me up, you know, none of that stuff. You're, they're dealing with real physics. And, uh, and so that, you know, in a way it's a contrast to uh, an experience of acting in a Galaxy Quest or a, or, a, or a Star Trek type show where it's more fiction than science, but um, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> I can uh, imagine I, being informed oh, it's, by it's, it. Well, yeah, still. I mean, you, you know, you're look when you when you're an actor, you're just happy to have a gig, um, and and what I thought when I got the gig was, oh, I'll get to act with. Sheree, who was, you know, one of the great actresses of our generation, that's good. But I didn't know I'd be taking gravity training. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and now I that I know that that's an aspect of the show, I've sort of watched the other actors, oh, how good are they at it? Because apparently they're, the leads are really good at selling low gravity when there is no low gravity. You know, they're always gripping uh, the, the ladders and all that stuff on the space station. So it looks like, I mean, they're using sort of gymnastic moves to sell the, 
the low gravity. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, if you watch, if you watch what I did, I basically gripped the arms of my chair the whole time in my scene. And you know, people think that's because my character is really scared, which he is. <laughs> but, uh, but I was trying to sell the low gravity. Nice, nice. Now I get to rewatch every scene and <laughs> look at it more closely. It's just you know, I love shows that are willing to commit to the depth, to the density, to, to actually making like the, like the Belters accents, things like that, that have just evolved independently within the world of the show and that they had. Yeah. To well, now I'll keep tell consistent. you a story about that. Uh, sure. I've been, I've been doing those. Uh, I've, I've been part of the loop group for the series since the pilot. Oh, I didn't know the, loop, the loop group is the uncredited bunch of actors who come in and do all the background voices in during post-production. Um, and so just to give you an indication of the care they put into the show, they brought us in uh, to teach us Belter uh, before we started. Because when you're looping, you're improvising. You're mm -hmm. improvising space talk. You're improvising, you know, if it's a police station. I mean, I've done a lot of shows as a loop group, um, whatever. And you're improvising, but we had to be able to improvise in Belter. And we didn't, well, Belter, what's Belter? So they had this language invented prior to the show, uh, era or part of the show being shot and they taught us the accent they taught us some of the actual patois and so that we we used that for five seasons oh uh, we we've invented whole storylines that are happening in the background that track through an entire season of shows right, exactly that nobody hears but it's the only way to keep it interesting i'm just so fascinated by that by the invention that has to happen and the thing and you know you're always using if it's a like I, I used to, I used to do this cop show, and so it was the same group of background cops. So I would do the same guy every episode, right. and you know, so there's a whole storyline that happens between my guy and the other. You know, it's and nobody hears it, but uh, it would. I always said, you know, if they bring down the mix of the leads and bring us up, it's just as good. <laughs> you know, and then I got to be on the show, which was really even better. My thanks to Sujith Varagis, who you can see right now in the new season of The Expanse on Amazon Prime Video. Next Tuesday, he'll be back in CBC's Kim's Convenience. And later this year, when Transplant returns to CTV, he'll be there too. You know what? I like all of those shows. You should check them out. You can find Sujith on Twitter at Sujith Varagis, all one word. And you can find Galaxy Quest on Blu-ray and DVD from Paramount Home Entertainment. It's also available on Apple TV and Google Play, and apparently it just turned up on Tubi. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days. And in fact, if the schedule holds, today's episode will be my conversation with the cast of Kim's Convenience. So go check that out. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay inside, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out. I'll see you next time.